Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Amanda Ferjuel. She is a serial entrepreneur, a performer, an author, and a podcast host. Welcome, Amanda. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am so looking forward to jumping in and sharing and learning a bit more about you, the work you do, your journey, all of the things, Amanda. So let's jump right in. As I mentioned, you are all of those things as well as, and me last but certainly not least, a mother. That is one hell of a lot of hats you're wearing and quite an extensive resume you have. So first of all, how on earth do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? Oh my, it's everything. Organization <laughs> and prioritization is literally everything in my life. I, as you said, I wear a lot of hats, have several businesses across multiple states. I've got business partners in multiple countries and states. So it's a lot to undertake if you don't prioritize and organize a lot. I'm definitely a little bit OCD. I will come out right out and say it that I'm OCD. <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's, I'm OCD because I do all these things or if doing all these things has allowed me to make o being OCD a good thing. I don't know what it is exactly. <laughs> and uh, I would say that prioritization shifted a lot when I became a mother, for sure. Right. Before it was, I would go all out, all hours of the day. I would work 15, 16 hour days because I enjoyed it. And then I would take, you know, a month off and I would just, it, there was no sense of, I have to put somebody else first because it right. would, I mean, you're, you're inherently selfish when you're in your twenties for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going, 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 going all the time because I was able to. And then when I had my son, I had to shift the way I saw my work priorities and my, and my life priorities. And for me, I am quite the workaholic. I genuinely enjoy working. And I, I always joke that even if I won the lottery tomorrow and won like $400 million, I would still work because I just, I love doing it. I love what I do. So I don't think I could ever not work. And with that being said, because I want to have family be an important part of my life, I do have to prioritize. And, and one of the things I do every single day, even if it's mentally and not actually physically writing it down is I make a priority for my following day. So before I go to sleep at night, I pick the top three things that I need to get done. Yeah. And whether that's something with my son, something, you know, charitable, something specific to my job, I pick what it, those three things are. And I make sure those are the first three things I tackle. And then anything else is bonus for the rest of the day. And if I I mean, just like most people, I'm sure most people have very long to-do lists and it, they go on and on and on. And, and if you're doing your to-do list right, it will never be done because you want to keep adding things to your list, new, exciting endeavors. So there's no such thing as a to-do list being completed. 
And I think that a lot of people get bogged down by the idea of a to-do list that just never ends, but it really, it really shouldn't unless you're dead. There's really (laughs) always things you're going to want to do. So I think that picking three or maybe four items that are your top item and focusing on doing those and then anything else you do on that to-do list is just, like I said, it's a bonus rather than being bogged down by all the things you have to do. It's just like, oh, you really only have to do three things. Yeah, for sure. Everything else comes in. So I'm very curious then, Amanda, what does your morning routine look like? (laughs) On a good day, on the day that (laughs) the the world is shining down upon me and everything's going correctly, I usually wake up around six. Well, I should say I wake up. My son wakes up around six, so I am forced to wake up around six. It's not my choice. (laughs) But we get up, I make him breakfast, get him ready. And then he does what I call his activities. So he reads or he plays trucks or does whatever he has to do. And then I work out while he does that. So I I always make it a point to start the day working out, getting my blood going, getting my mind centered and right in the world. And I usually only get about half an hour before he's like, we're done with you not paying attention to me. So (laughs) he's he's four. So he's not as self-sufficient as he'll be in a few years. So I get about half an hour of that. And then usually while I'm taking a shower, I do affirmations and I just sort of, again, go over my to-do list of what I'm going to do that day. What are my top three items? And then affirmations I know seems a little woo-woo to a lot of people. And it, it was to me for a long, long time, but I don't think affirmations has to necessarily be, you know, sitting with a gong and chanting and going over your meditation. Sometimes it can be, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But for me, I don't really have the quiet space in the morning to allow for something like that. So for me, it's more just telling myself what I'm going to get accomplished that day and and really making sure I hit home that whatever I do today, and it's one of my top affirmations, I have to do something every day that's going to push me to where I want to be. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but if I have a goal in mind that day and, and that goal changes from month to month, week to week, I have to do something every day that gets me there. So whether it's reading an article that will inspire me or getting a massage to get out of my head. I mean, there are a lot of things that can push you into that direction. So sometimes you have to understand that self-care is, is also part of that journey to goal setting and, and keeping yourself on track. So I do affirmations. Normally I get a later breakfast or coffee on my way to dropping my son at school on the days that he has school, which is only three days. And then I start right into work. I I often like to take about a half an hour of just coffee and journaling and writing in the morning if I can, but it doesn't always pan out. Sometimes I have to push (laughs) it to the evening. You know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with you being a serial entrepreneur, Have you always had the entrepreneurial bug in you? And if so, where do you think that comes from for you? Yes and no. I definitely think I had the bug. I didn't know that's what it was though. So when I was younger, I was always a little bit of a hustler. I always wanted to, you know, take an extra babysitting gig or, you know, a lemonade stand or, I mean, we all had those things, but I always kind of took it to almost an extreme level of like, okay, well now that I have a lemonade stand and I have customers who are coming to me for lemonade, like what else can I sell them? I'll make some French luck bracelets. Here you go. We'll sell these. And then let me go to my mom's cabinet and pick out things that we haven't eaten. And I'll sell those things, even though in my small child mind, I didn't understand that like there's obviously a cost for those goods. I was just basically stealing things off the truck. And <laughs> it. So I always had that kind of drive to yeah. do a lot and be a lot and, and go and, and just do, do, do and go, go, go all the time. So I've always had that. And I wanted to go into business when I went into college. Well, first I, w- I was pre-med and then I, I wanted to go into, into business because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. So 
It's like, oh, well, if you want to make any money in the world, like you really should have a business degree. And, and I took a couple of business courses and I actually, I absolutely hated them. I, I hated them so much. They were so boring. So I actually just flipped and got degrees and, and pretty much the opposite of all those things. So I thought the business wasn't for me. I was like, oh, well, I didn't like a business, this business course. So I must not be meant to be a business owner. And that's just so not the case. And I, I think there's a lot of business owners now, particularly women that I've, I've come into contact with, where it's not necessarily about having a degree that puts you into a business sphere. It's more about having the passion and then people just kind of figure it out as they go, which is, you know, why we have coaches, why, I mean, it's kind of why I exist. So, yeah. but I always knew I wanted to do a lot. I always knew that there was something bigger than just, you know, a normal nine to five. And even though I've had nine to fives and I actually really enjoyed them, I really loved the work that I've had in the past. I just knew I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to control the schedule. I wanted to control my fate. And I've definitely been the kind of person who wants to be in the driver's seat of life. Love it. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and keep pushing and excelling at all that you do? I think a lot of people want or want to imagine that I have this like great motivation or, or anything, but really it's consistency. I think one of the best attributes I've found in, in all the entrepreneurs that I've met and myself included, is that we're okay with being in the crap for a long time. Because as an entrepreneur, you really have to be patient and you have to persevere over all of the stuff that comes up. There are a lot of highs and lows before you kind of hit that plateau of, of comfort. And, and usually when you hit that, you're like, okay, well, what else can I do? That's why I have multiple businesses. It's like, as soon as I hit a comfortable place, I'm like, okay, well, how can I invest this money into doing something better and greater and different and help more people and do more. So I think you have to really be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's something that I possess for sure. <laughs> it's one of those things that's really helped me as an entrepreneur. That and just super stubborn, just tenacious and a challenge. And I just won't give up until I feel like the horse is so beyond dead. I mean, I'm just like riding the horse in the afterlife. It's, it's, so it's, it's a lot of that. It's a, it's a lot of trusting yourself and pushing past what boundaries you think you have and, and and really discovering how far you can go. And it's, like I said, it's been different now that I've had my child because before I didn't even have, I didn't even blink about making a large financial investment and tr like jumping off a, you know, a plane really. And now I have to be a little bit more conservative in some of my financial choices simply because I do have to provide for a small human. Yes. So, you know, those <laughs> Makes a bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, what were you doing for work before making the jump into entrepreneurship? I was actually a television producer and oh. I loved that job. I still look back on that so, so fondly because it, it, I still am friends with, I would say, 99% of the people I worked with at, at the TV station. They're just fantastic people. And it really allowed me to be creative and have deadlines and, and have accountability. And, you know, I'll never forget my production manager at the time when I first started. And I, I was so green. I really didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, how you just got to jump in yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. And she basically told me, she's like, you know, any mistake that happens out in the field it's going to be your fault. I was like, ouch, that really hurts. But what she was trying to explain to me, and she was 100% correct, is you've got to take responsibility for the things that are under your wing. And as the producer of the show, literally everything was like, maybe it wasn't my fault that a camera fell over, but I should have been aware of the circumstances to make it less likely to happen. And so I think that really translated well into owning a business because even as the owner, you think, well, okay, well, not everything is my fault. It's not my fault that so-and-so didn't show up to work. 
but it is your responsibility to take over and to fix those issues and to address whatever's coming up with, with employees or clients or customers or whatever it comes down to. So I think that that translated so well, taking this, this career as a producer and you know, writer and editor that I, I worked with as, at the TV station and translate that into owning multiple businesses because it's, it felt very similar. You're just, all the hats are on you. And even yeah. though you have people under you to help you facilitate and to achieve more, and to do the things that you can't necessarily do, it's still up to you to keep everybody going and, and to make sure everything runs smoothly. For sure. And so how hard or easy was that transition for you then leaving that job and jumping into entrepreneurship? It was, well, I mean, I talk about this in my book, but the reason I left that job was not because I necessarily wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was that I got really, really mad and I was in my 20s and I'm like, fine. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm taking and my ball and I'm going home. Basically, exactly. <laughs> I was such a toddler about it. And and there were reasons, there were reasons that, you know, pushed me over the edge after working there, but it was for all intents and purposes, I probably could have stayed and I probably could still be working there. It was a great place to work. And because I had that anger and fire at the time, it felt really easy to transition. I'm like, it's sink or swim. I mean, I didn't have yeah. a backup plan. I didn't have, I mean, I had savings, but not extensive savings. I, I was on my own even then. So it felt scary in that I didn't have a safety net and I was all fired up. So I was going to make it work no matter what. And obviously I did. So there you go. Yes. I think that being so angry at the time in my twenties and just all the passion and none of the sense made it very easy to make that transition for sure. Okay. And what excites or lights you up the most about being an entrepreneur? Ah, oh, the potential, just the the potential and the creativity and the, be, the being able to give back in a way that you can't necessarily do when you're working for someone else. I think, I mean, everybody wants to talk about, oh yeah, it's the money and it's the freedom and those things are great too. And I just like the potential that I have to make change and to make a difference on my own terms. I, I think it. that's so invaluable as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You can't do that in any other way. Even if you're working in a philanthropic career, there's just no nothing better than being able to control that fate and, and being able to give back in a way that resonates with you. For sure. And on the flip side of that, what would you say has been one of the most challenging aspects of entrepreneurship for you up to this point? Oh, man. Where do I start? <laughs> entrepreneurship is not as easy as, as Instagram would make it seem. I know there's all this, you know, get six figures in 30 days and take this and do that. And you're going to be, you know, a million followers and you're going to make all this money. And I think that there's a misconception about what being an entrepreneur is. And I think the hardest part is being patient and understanding, like seeing your vision and knowing it's going to be amazing and knowing that you're so close, but then having to wait for that is really hard. I'm not a particularly patient person. And I think that that's been the hardest part is just, you see it. And, and as an entrepreneur and as you know, a go-getter, I'm just very going all the time. I see it so clearly. I see the vision coming to fruition. I see all the details. I can practically see what I'm wearing when I, whenever I'm doing something there. Yeah. I can see it. And I haven't gotten there yet. And it's just this, like, I know I'm on the course. I know I'm there. And I think waiting, waiting is so hard and being patient and knowing that those efforts and then when it gets the hardest, when it feels like you're you should quit is when you should stick it out a little bit longer because that's when you get change and that's when something happens that's going to be amazing and you just have to wait for it and that's the worst. 
Yeah, it's the worst I, to wait. I think patience is the the hardest thing to learn and the biggest lesson in entrepreneurship. You have to be patient 100%. And we always get into this mindset, this competition mindset. Why am I not here at this point yet? This person this far. And these are all things that we have to keep in mind. And I mean, being an entrepreneur is not for the faint of heart. It's a tough journey. But in my opinion, it's so rewarding. And I honestly couldn't imagine doing anything else or going back and working for someone else. So with that in mind, what is the one piece of advice you would offer to someone who's thinking about making the leap into the world of entrepreneurship? Go ahead and do it. Do it before you're ready because you're going to have to wait eventually anyway. So if you wait to get started and then you're going to wait for results, you're going to literally be waiting forever. So start before you think you're ready and surround yourself with people who make you better rather than being the smartest person in the room. You never want to be the smartest person in the room. You get people on your team who are way smarter than you and nurture that environment and start before you're ready because that you're going to be waiting a while as an entrepreneur. So you might as well wait while you're working rather than waiting to work. With that being said though, do you think that there's ever really a time where we are ready for that? No. It's like no. saying you're ready for, you know, to be children a or yeah. ready to go into labor. Like you're not ready. <laughs> you have a, a cognizance of what it's going to be like, but there's no such thing as being ready. There's no perfect time. There's never going to be a perfect time to start. There's never going to be a time that's more convenient or less. Yeah. It's, it's going to be SHIT show. It is. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be manic. There are going to be times where you feel like things are really working well. And there's times that it just, everything hits fan and you're, you're drowning. And there's no good time to start that. It's going to happen. And, and, and I say, start it when you're the most passionate, when you have that drive and that feeling like, yes, I'm going to do this. Start it then before you have time to think too far and ruin it. Because when I started as an entrepreneur, I had all that fire and passion from freshly quitting and like the indignation, oh, the strife that I had at 22, yeah. however old I was. And that really pushed me into entrepreneurship in a way that I wouldn't have been able to, to do had I planned it out and made a six-month plan and like thought about it and then thought some more. It just, I would have fizzled out all the passion, which is what gets you past all the pain in the beginning yeah. of entrepreneurship. For sure. For sure. And I mean, when we sit and think about it too much, then we get in our own way. We come up oh, with yeah. excuses. We we do all the things to stop ourselves from going forward. So I think that's 100% bang on and do it when you have that passion and that drive, because that will help get you through those shit tough times for yeah, sure. For sure. So can you share a little bit about your businesses that you're running? Sure. I have a very weird collections of, of, of professions. So my main job, I am a business consultant. So I help other businesses start and progress and get their systems in place so that they can actually have lives as, as entrepreneurs. I know a lot of solopreneurs, there's just so much to do that you don't have time to work on your business. You're constantly working in your business. So my job is to help people get better profits and kind of push past that earlier stage in entrepreneurship that's so challenging. Or if you're already an entrepreneur or a business owner, it just helps you push it to the next level. So that's that's my main job, if you want to call it a job. That's my main <laughs> passion, yeah. what I do. So in addition to that, I am an author. So I have a company with my co-author. She and I have a podcast together. We have the, the book where actually our second book comes out pretty soon. And with that, we have writing masterminds and we do a lot of collaborative work in the business consulting sphere because she's also a consultant. She's actually out of Thailand right now, but she 
she and I met in Hawaii, but we do a lot of consulting work as a team. We do mastermind, writing masterminds and so forth uh, together. So that's another one of our businesses. It's kind of an offshoot business. Then I also, I own a couple of fitness studios, uh, both of which are in Hawaii. And uh, I have a partner for one and then one I'm a solopreneur for, and I just have people working for me. Okay. And I did recently sell one of my other, I had another fitness studio that I recently sold and I had that one for 15 years. So that was another fitness business. And I had, you know, 30 to 50 people, depending on the season, working for me in that one. Wow. Yeah. It was a big, small business. Yeah. So, um, big enough for me anyway, considering it was <laughs> only like a thousand square feet and all those people in there. And then I'm also, I have a burlesque troupe and burlesque company. I have a podcast with that as well. So I have two podcasts and I'm the CFO of that company. And I have three other partners who in various roles. And that is because I am or was, or currently Kind of depends, not currently, but a burlesque performer. So I do oh, okay. uh, dance and uh, work internationally with that. So that's another facet of totally opposite of my uh, <laughs> nature. <laughs> then I also have a clothing brand line. So I have, I sell an online store that sells, you know, sarcastic shirts <laughs> and, and products, just a very okay. dark, sarcastic uh, clothing company. And yeah, just a... Uh, Lots of randomness. I also, I, I just sold, well, I, when I moved here, but back to the mainland, I sold uh, my commercial fishing business. So that one sold wow. a random one to have. And I also had a, a costuming company that I, it's still open technically, but I haven't done anything with it in a while. So it's kind of in the back burner. You are one hell of a busy lady. I know. I like to keep busy. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the landscape of entrepreneurship and women-run businesses in terms of how it's evolved and how it's continuing to shift and evolve? It's definitely changed a lot. Even in the last 10 years, it's changed significantly. And I think obviously we can all sort of trace it back to the feminist movement and how that sort of shifted our world. And I, I'm not actually a huge fan of the feminist movement, even though I consider myself to be by definition a feminist. I just feel like there were a lot of negatives that people are still holding on to. And the way it's shifted in the last 10 to 15 years is there's a lot of, in my opinion, people holding on to a victim status of like, we're not, we, there is an equal pay. And I'm not saying that I agree with the fact that women are inherently paid less than men. And, and obviously there are a lot of horrible things that have happened in our society in the, in the last 200 years. I, but I think that it's really important that women and men understand that it's not necessarily your role in life in the business sphere to fix what has happened in the past. We have to be cognizant of it. We have to be aware of it because we don't want to repeat it. And we need to still push past it and be better because we want to be better, not because we're trying to make up for the mistakes of our forefathers and mothers. So as it shifted recently, there's been a lot of changes in the environment of wanting to support small business owners. And, and, and there is a, a shift. There's a lot of women who are small business owners, but it tends to be pigeonholed or, or stereotyped into a lot of MLMs, which there's nothing wrong with them. MLMs are fine. I think there's just a, this assumption that women can't do anything more than these small side hustles in their home because they still have to take on the role as a mother yeah. in a lot of cases. And there's just this, and I almost think it's, and this is going to sound terrible for my entire gender, but it's almost like we're doing it to ourselves. Like women are so hard on themselves and they just feel like they have to do everything hundred percent all the time. Like you have to be the perfect mom. You have to be the perfect partner. 
You have to be the perfect business owner. You have to be all these things at the same time. And it's a different pressure than I feel like a lot of stereotypical men get. So men don't have that same stereotype. And I think that as women, we need to rise above that and really change that that dialogue that we have you know, decided is our story and it isn't. I think yeah. you can do all the things. You just may not be able to do them all at once, but you should be able to do them. And I think there has been a shift recently in wanting to provide more opportunities for women in business, not because, oh, poor women are underrepresented and underpaid. It's more of, look at all the awesome stuff that we do. There there really is so much that I, so many passion projects and just so many philanthropic events that I see women overtaking. And I think there has been a lack of financial help in that way for like loans and just angel funds that people can access as a woman. It's, it's been limited. And I think that if we make that shift and give the opportunities there, rather than being coming from a, what was me standpoint, instead coming from a look at what we could do standpoint, I think it's, it's, we've got to flip that mindset and that narrative of, you know, I deserve this because my mother never got paid well and I'm not paying well. Rather, it should be, look what I can do for other people. Look how far we've come and how far we can go. So exactly. it's, I think it's just a mindset shift for me personally, but it's changed a lot, just so much. I'm, I'm really proud to see more women taking a step up and taking control of their financial futures and destinies. And I think that that's uh, really important to see. For sure. I mean, it, it has shifted and it has changed. I think there's still a lot more work to do, but let's be women just fucking kick ass, period. That's all there is to it. They just, honestly, you think about it, they just get shit done. They know what needs to get done and they just fucking do it. And that's it, period. There's Absolutely. no, when I think back to my mother, I mean, when she was raising my brother and I, it was the seventies and back in those days, women weren't the ones out working, making money, supporting the family. It was the husbands. And so for my mom to turn around and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not putting up with your shit anymore. I'm leaving. And she took my brother and I, and we left. I mean, that alone is a huge step. And it's a huge example to show you that, you know what, women just fucking kick ass. They just do what has to be done, period. No questions. They just do it. That's it. And that's such a great, I mean, I think that's so incredible when women step out of that, this, this perceived comfort, because I, particularly in the seventies, my God, you just didn't do that. Like you didn't leave your husband. You didn't have kids without a wedlock. Like it was such a taboo thing, even up into the seventies. And I mean, honestly, when I got pregnant, I still had a bit of that, like in my head of like, oh my God, I... I'm like an unwed mother. Oh, what is the world going to think of me? Yeah. It was so crazy because obviously it wasn't that long ago. It was in 2018. So, but it's still in your, it's, it's ingrained. I mean, yeah. it's just years of that being the narrative and years of that being like, oh, you're never going to succeed. And it actually kind of pushed me even further. I'm like, well, there you go. Prove you wrong. And I think that's so, I mean, I'm so impressed with your mom because at that time it was just, nobody was doing that. And yeah. I mean, people were doing it obviously, but it's, it was it was very rare. I mean, it was very 1980 rare. when she left, but I mean, oh. just for the fact that she just did it, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it's just a huge testament to what women are capable of and what women can do. And it's, you know, Overcome. yeah, it's huge. Women, like I said, women just get shit done and that's it. So I think that, you know, the shift has happened. I don't think it's happening quick enough, Fact, but at least there is like the needle is moving, which is good. Yes. 
So what advice do you have for women looking to grow either their own business or within, say, maybe they're not entrepreneurs, but they work within a company? What advice do you have for women looking to grow their business or within the company they work for? Don't let anybody dull your shine. If you want to do something, do it. You are enough. You absolutely can do it. There's nothing you can't do. And all those little thoughts in your head are just that. They're in your head and even if it's coming directly out of somebody else's mouth, if that person isn't paying your rent, then what does it matter? I, I, even, if they, even if they are, if they're that mean to you, maybe they shouldn't be paying your rent anymore. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much. One of the number one things I see with my female clients is this imposter syndrome. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough and I don't know if I can make it. And maybe I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And the fact is women are cut out to be anything they want to be. It is a tough world in entrepreneurship. It is a tough world as a business owner. It is a tough world working as a woman in a male dominated industry. It is tough just being a woman in a woman industry. I mean, there's just women are incredibly resilient and incredibly talented and you just have to, to want it. And you just have to believe in yourself because that mindset Again, mindset, I know it's such a woo-woo concept and I never thought I would be like, yay, mindset, because I, I always am, I've been considered kind of a, a pessimistic viewpoint or a realistic viewpoint. And really when it comes down to it, mindset is everything. Because if you believe sure. that you can do it and you understand that every stumbling block that you hit is just a way to get you stronger and a lesson that you can learn, it, it will change how you deal with anything in, in your work. And whether it's a daily nine to five scenario, or if it's owning a business, it will change everything. You just have to believe that you can do it and then push past all that negative thought because you know, you're your own worst enemy. 100%. If anybody's going to put you down, it's going to be your, yourself. And you just have to remember that you would never talk to your friends that way. So why do you talk to yourself that way? Exactly. Push past. For sure. I mean, we are, we are our own worst critics. We are our own worst enemies it's bad enough that we have to deal with the external noise from other people and all of that bullshit but the worst part is the internal noise those internal demons that we have to deal with and fight and get rid of you know i mean that's the hardest part for sure absolutely what would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur <laughs> i think first and foremost you like i, I said before you have to be okay with being uncomfortable. You have to per persevere. It's, it's not an overnight thing. So knowing from the start that it's going to take work and everybody wants to be this instant overnight success. It's quite like the, the perpetuation right now in our society is this instant gratification. And I think that the number one thing as an entrepreneur is just to cultivate that patience and understand that it's not going to happen overnight. If it does, amazing, stoked for you and something will come up later and it won't be overnight anymore. So yeah. all the overnight successes I've ever seen had a lot of work behind them. The five-year yeah. overnight success. Yeah, exactly. The five, 10-year, 20-year yeah. overnight success. So yeah. there's more to it. So I think number one, perseverance and being able to just stick it out through the highs and the lows because you're going to have both no matter how good of a business owner you are, there'll be both. Then I think mindset is really super high on the list because you got to have that growth and abundance mindset or everything, even the best situation will start to creep in those negative thoughts and you'll start to doubt yourself. And that's where imposter syndrome comes in a bit more. And I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to, to foster that sense of abundance, that there is enough for everybody. There's always going to be somebody worse than you, somebody, somebody better than you, but you've got to get off that competition mindset because you're never going to hit success if your scale of success is based on competition. 
So like, you got to let, let that competition go and just live in that abundant mindset. So abundant mindset, persevering and getting it through. And I do believe, and I know people aren't going to like this, but I think you do have to have strategy and organization because particularly as a solopreneur, but even if you have a lot of people under you, there is just a lot of hats to wear and you want to make sure you're putting the right hat on for the right job. And it's, if you don't have any systems in place, you can go for a very long time without any systems and with just sort of winging it as it were, but you want something to be scalable, to be repeatable, to something you can delegate. And in order to do that and to get more done in less time and really work on that productivity and efficiency, you've got to set systems in place and you've got to find some organization. And it, and that doesn't necessarily have to be the OCD way that I do things. There's, you know, two plus two is four, but so is one plus three. So it, it's yeah. just got to be what works for you and what kind of organization, even if it's organized chaos, there's got to be something that you can show a repetition and show something so that you can scale and, and make it sustainable beyond you. Because I think owning a business isn't just what you can do for yourself. It's what legacy you're going to leave. So the idea is that you want to be able to pass that business off to somebody else and have it continue after you. And that's going to take some kind of system set in place. What would you say is the most entrepreneurial thing about you? Just chutzpah. Just <laughs> tenacious, go-getter, unstoppable, all the time go. I, I think that's a very improper sentence. That's <laughs> okay. I think that the most entrepreneurial thing about me is the drive. I just, yeah. I want it. And I okay. think that's gotten me past a lot of times. Like they certainly got me through COVID when all yeah. when my businesses were closing and I didn't, and like my sole goal was yes, to keep the business open, but also to keep my employees for sure funded and living. So there was a lot of that. And I think that just the drive and the willingness and this, the stubborn resistance to failure uh, pushed me past it. So love it. How important as an entrepreneur is that work of giving back or mentoring in terms of feeling a responsibility or an obligation to the up and coming people entering into entrepreneurship. I mean, as you've mentioned, as we've talked about here, entrepreneurship is glamorized. It's romanticized on social media. It's everybody's highlight reel. But I find that a lot of people don't talk about the other side of it, the not so nice part of it, the the loneliness of it, if you're a solopreneur, and it's not always puppy dogs and ice cream and rainbows. So what are your thoughts on giving back and mentoring? And us as entrepreneurs, do you not think that we somewhat have a bit of a responsibility in terms of educating those that are coming into the world of entrepreneurship to let them know that, hey, you know what, all that shit you're seeing on social media, that's all well and good, but that's not what it's about. It's just shit. That's just what it is. Yeah. I 100 million billion percent believe that my role on this in this world is to give back. It's been an incredibly important part of every business that I've had. There's always been an element of charitable contributions, charitable events, giving back as much as humanly possible, both locally and internationally. From an overall broad perspective, philanthropy is is the reason why we're here. Giving back and helping others is the reason why we're here. And I'm, I'm not going to get all philosophical on it because I don't have the actual answer. But for me, giving back is the reason I'm here. It's, it's my purpose being is to help other people one way or another. And when it comes to, I mean, it's literally why I started my consulting business is for 20 years before I started, you know, actually not 20 years, like 15 years before I started the business, that's what I was doing. I would help other people start their businesses. I would, you know, help them through financial stuff, help them with their taxes, help them figure out 
how to do their bookkeeping and doing all the things that to me at that point had come naturally and sharing it with other people, helping other people start businesses. I absolutely believe it's part of my purpose in helping people grow. And it's the reason I started my business is because I want people to know that they have somebody on their team. And anytime I take on a client, that business is my business. And every time it's not hitting the numbers or every time there's a HR issue or whatever, I feel it because it's like, it's my business. I definitely believe it's part of our duty as entrepreneurs. And the better I do as an entrepreneur, the more I want it. It's the the, the reason why we started the podcast for the pursuit of badassery for with my partner is, is to give back and to help entrepreneurs grow and to give them the resources they need. It's why I have a blog. It's all the things Yeah, I, I want to give back to people and, and help them realize that they can own their own business. If that's what, if that's in their passion, you absolutely can do it. And there are resources and there are people that are willing to help you. And, and that's definitely part of my why. So being a women's empowerment advocate, what do you do to empower yourself and other women? Education to me is so empowering and it doesn't necessarily mean going to school though I did that, but it's always a continued education. There's no such thing as being an expert in my opinion. I mean, you can be very good at something. I mean, I think they say like 10,000 hours makes you an expert and that's fine. Then I'm an expert, but I think there's always a need for continuing education. And I think the best way to empower yourself is to give yourself knowledge in whatever you want to have knowledge in. So it could be underwater basket weaving, it could be politics, whatever it is that you want to learn about. I think that knowledge and education and self-assuredness and just knowing your shit will help you become more empowered. And so I'm, I'm a big fan and big advocate of education and business education is something that's been a passion of mine recently, obviously, because I own businesses and by recently, <laughs> the last seven years, it's not that recent, but I, I feel like one of the easiest ways to empower yourself with, you know, just a couple of finds from the library is to educate yourself in anything that interests you because you can only become a, a better person and really empowering yourself to me is, is bettering yourself. There's always room for improvement. And sometimes that's something as easy as reading a book. Knowledge is power for sure. Speaking of empowerment, what does that word mean to you? Being empowered or feeling empowered is projecting the best side of yourself. And it is showing people that you are sufficient in your, your ideals and your beliefs, that you stand alone as a person and that you don't need anybody else to validate who you are. I think being empowered means is a, it's an inner strength that you're letting loose. It's not just perceived strength that is definitely deep inside you and that you are showing it to other people and, and helping to cultivate that in other people. Now, as you just alluded to, and as I mentioned off the top, you're a podcast host. Can you tell us a bit more about the podcast, the title, the subject matter? Is it interview style, solo, mix? So I have two podcasts. Right, right. Uh, One is called Burlesque Moms. Okay. And I have with my C-suite of my company are on this podcast. And we have done interviews, but we also just do the four of us or sometimes two of us speaking on a subject. And the, the purpose of that podcast is really to talk about this dichotomy between the performer lifestyle and motherhood and like the day to day and how those things intersect and dissect. So it's been a really fun one because it's much more along the creative side of just this glamorous perception of what a performer is and the less glamorous perception of what being a mom is. So it's a lot of fun to sit down with these ladies and sort of talk about our day-to-day, like between like sequins and (laughs) trucks. So it's, it's been a fun, you know, sequins and potty training. So it's, it's it's a very diverse subject, but we do have occasionally have guests on and we we talk about different things 
from the performance side of things and, and women's empowerment to some extent. And actually is a lot of about body positivity on that because there is, you know, there's the whole mom bod culture, yeah. you know, never being able to get your body back and that we do a lot of body positivity work in, in that podcast. Okay. And then the second podcast I have is the pursuit of badassery, the podcast, and that's a business podcast about entrepreneurship. And we tackle all the topics that we feel are important for entrepreneurs to learn as they're on their journey. So like we're saying, mindset, delegation, organization, systems and processes. I mean, it's not very glamorous in that way, that it's, <laughs> but my co-host and I are, we're funny people. We're funny. We're fun to listen to. <laughs> but it's talking more about the things that really helped us and like our tips and tricks on getting through the doldrum and into a profitable business and how we can rise above those common challenges that you have as an entrepreneur. So that one's all about entrepreneurship and, and it's an offshoot of our book of just trying to teach and share and give back to people who are on this entrepreneurial journey. Love it. Amanda, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? This is going to come as, well, no surprise for people who know me, but surprise people who don't know me. And it's actually my negativity. <laughs> and okay. I know that seems weird, but, but hear, hear me out. So I'm really, one of my strengths in my business and any, when I work with anybody else is seeing the potential for negatives and fixing them before they happen. So I'm able to problem solve before the problem arises. Okay. And I think setting yourself up, and again, it's a systems thing. So you're setting your systems up and you're setting your, your organization up to avoid the common mistakes that are going to come up. And so my superpower in my business is being able to you know, crisis manage before the crisis arises and really avoid those big issues because I have been in them before. And so now I recognize the signs. I know all the horrible things that can happen and I can fix them before because I, I've I lived it. I've okay. been there. I've already done all those right. things. So I think that's one of my superpowers and strengths now is being able to, you know, not foresee, I'm not a psychic, but I, I <laughs> being able to problem solve as it comes up and really think creatively and, and look ahead at the issues that my business may have and fix it before it happens or prepare systems to deal with it if it does happen. Proactivity versus reactivity. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. For sure. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? You know, success is something different for everybody. I don't believe success is monetary at all. I think success is feeling self-sufficient, feeling like you have achieved what your goal was to achieve and everything else is kind of bonus. To me, like I said, success is, I mean, I want to be able to provide for myself and my kid. I want to feel comfortable and like I'm achieving something that's, that's important to me. But if I make a million dollars or if I make $10, it doesn't make as much of a, of a difference as long as I'm able to provide for my family. So I think that a lot of people, and I, I don't want to blame social media for this because I'm sure it had other things, but I think a lot of people now associate success with that, like, I have to hit six figures and now it's, I have to hit seven figures and here's the way to do it. And now I'm going to be a YouTube star and I'm going to, and this, all this, you know, quick fix, I'm going to make a million dollars and that's great. But let me tell you, like making a million dollars is, it's not going to change anything if you base all of your worth on a, on a number sign. For sure. So, I believe that success is individual for each person, but for me personally, success is being self-sufficient and being comfortable and being able to provide a lifestyle for my, my child and for myself that is rewarding and fulfilling and having my goals met in a way that makes me feel like I'm living my purpose. 
Beautiful. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I credit this life lesson to, well, two things. So two life lessons that I've learned. One, I learned at 16 and I was working on a medical mission in Honduras at the time. And it was one of the most profound times of my life because I was able to really see that you don't need money to be happy. There are these kids there. I mean, we're in the mountains of Honduras and people don't have shoes. They've, they've walked a hundred miles just to see a doctor and they're so happy just with the bare minimum of what life can give them. They're sick, they're disease ridden and happy and so grateful. And it really taught me to look at my circumstances and my privilege in a different way. And all the things I've been given in life, it made me really understand gratitude. And it really made me understand that there's always someone who has something worse than you. And there's always a reason to be happy with where you are. So even if it's just the worst, I mean, COVID just hit and your business closed and you know, you, you lose your house or whatever, there's always something there that's a silver lining. There's always something there that is worth being grateful for. And I think that's a big lesson that I learned at 16. And then later in life, when I moved to Hawaii, I learned that not everybody's out to get you. You don't have to be mean about being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's a lot of like this New York mentality, DC, like cutthroat, I'm going to get my way and stomp on anybody that I need to. And so I, I definitely learned to rely on people in a different way and to trust people. And that's always been a hard thing for me because I am such a do it myself. If you want something done right, do it yourself kind of girl. It's kind of how I was raised. So moving to Hawaii really taught me that you have to rely on other people. You're on an island in the middle of nowhere and that there are good people and they do want to help you and they are genuine and it can't be all about you. You've, you've got to make it about other people and it's, I know it feels like the fastest way to the top is to step on everybody as you go, but it doesn't work out that way in the end. Like there's always going to be somebody who's trying to climb over you. And so it's better to help each other than to fight each other. And I think it, it really fostered this idea of we all go up together yeah. and it's, it's a collaborative, it's part of that abundance of, I don't need to fight my way to the top because we can all work together and both get there. For sure. That model of stepping on people will always come back to bite you in the ass and it's never, it will never end well. I think business, a friend of mine says this all the time, we are not meant to do business alone. Mm -hmm. It's all about supporting one another and collaborating and connecting and community and all of those things. That's what business is about. That's how we get further. There's more than enough work to go around for everybody, no matter what genre you work in, no matter what type of work you're doing, there's more than enough work to go around for everyone. Absolutely. Amanda, how would you like to be remembered? I'd be badass. I'll be remembered <laughs> as, well, I want my family and particularly my son to remember me as somebody who worked hard for other people, that I owned my businesses and I worked for myself, but I want them to really feel like I made a difference and that it mattered that I was here and I want people to, to sort of see me as this you know, unstoppable force of badassery. I mean, that's why I named my book that. I mean, we just want to, I want to, I want people to realize that you can do all the things that you want to do and, and that there's no, like having a kid doesn't hold you back from doing things and having a, a business doesn't mean you can't have a family and being on your own doesn't mean that you have to necessarily be a slave to somebody else in a nine to five that you despise. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that that could mean, but I want someone, I want people to understand that you can be anything you want to be. And if you just 
want it badly enough, work hard enough for it and stay consistent and persistent in it. I think that there's nothing we can't do if we want it badly enough and work for it. For sure. And I think that's an important lesson that we need to instill in our children from a very, very young age that they can accomplish anything and they can do anything in this life. They just have to work for it and believe in themselves. Yes, absolutely. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I think my parents have. I was very fortunate to grow up in, my parents are still married after 50 something years and they were very different. My mother was very nurturing and my father was very much just a go-getter examiner and, and kind of that typical patriarch, you know, Italian family. And I think because my parents were very adamant that we understand the value of dollar, they didn't give us everything. We didn't get a car at 16, which is, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people giving their kids cars at 16. That's great. And, you know, I had to pay for my education. I had, even though they were able to do it, there was a a very big sense in them that we needed to do it on our own. So I'm not going to buy you a house. I'm not going to buy you these things. Like if you want those things, get a job and do it yourself. And I think at the time when I was like 15 year old, me was all like miffed about my parents don't love me because they yeah. me, 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 me. But now as an adult, and even before I had my child, I realized how important it was that they instilled that work ethic in me from a very young age. I mean, I think that the first time we had a discussion about college education was I was probably 10. And my dad was like, yeah, you're going to pay for it. So when are you going to get a job? And I was like, I'm 10. I can't get a job. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can babysit. And so I started babysitting like at 11. And so I think and saving and, and instilling in me that, that importance of saving and understanding money beyond just like, here's a credit card. It's, it was like, here's how you balance a checkbook. And I think that he had this profound effect on how I see work and the work ethic that I have is 100% because of my father and understanding that, that you're not going to get handed things in life just because of any, for any reason. That even if you have all the privilege in the world, that doesn't make you entitled to anything. And I think that that was really an important lesson that, that he instilled in me. And so I, I think I definitely credit all of my work ethic to my father and that, that drive to be better. And I mean, he's also the reason why I decided not to become a doctor because I didn't want to ever have him ask me a medical question I didn't know the answer to. So I was like, right. let's just do something that isn't going to be a life or death situation. <laughs> so, oh. and then my, from my mother's standpoint, she was just so creative and all about nurturing and all about instilling the creative arts in me and, and, and a love of music and theater and, and, you know, museums. And I think that just crafting and and all that I want to bring to my kid now, like now that I'm a mom, I want him to really feel like I'm present. And I always felt like she was present in my life in a way that, you know, that isn't necessarily the status quo these days. And I I want my kid to understand like the concept of someone being present in your life unconditionally and putting your attention on you. I think that's really important. And so, yeah, my, my parents have been an incredible influence on my life. Okay. So I love, absolutely love that you brought up all that stuff about your father and the entitlement thing, because I think that is a huge problem with today's kids. Like parents will give their kids everything. They don't have to work for anything. And just because you have the money, just because you can't afford it, like your father, it doesn't mean you, you're entitled to it, that you deserve this. You need to understand and appreciate the value of money. Although you'll hear a lot of parents say, well, why wouldn't I give them this? I didn't have this, so they, they should have this. They shouldn't have to go through what I had to go through. You're absolutely right. They should. They should learn that they have to work for shit in this world, that not everything is going to be handed to you. And no, your education, you should have to work for that. You should have to pay for that. I had to, so why shouldn't you? 
why should you be given a free ride? Yeah. And I, I, I think it's so important. It is. It'll teach them so much more. It will help shape them as adults in the future, giving them everything or paying for everything for them, giving them a car when they turn 16 or paying for their education. How are they going to learn to appreciate anything with that way of thinking? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, for college, for instance, I remember having these people like, oh, well, I'm going to skip class because, you know, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, I know exactly. That class cost me $750. Like I'm going to class. Yes. And it, gives you, and it makes you understand the value of things because you actually had to put in the work and put in that monetary value. And it makes you really understand and appreciate it more. And I worked my butt off in college. And yeah, in some ways, like I didn't get the traditional college experience because I didn't get drunk off my ass and like right. vomit every weekend. And that's, yeah. I didn't do that. I had multiple jobs when I was in school and I got multiple degrees in a short amount of time because I knew the value of my dollar and I wanted to get it done. And I wouldn't have had that drive had somebody else been paying my way. That's it. See, I, I'm the same way. I think I worked a hell of a lot harder. I went back to school later. I didn't go back. I didn't go to college till I was 24 and I paid my own way. And that made me work that much harder because I knew that I was paying for this. And I'm the only one that's going to be accountable. If I fuck up, that's on me. Mm -hmm. If I fuck up and someone else is paying for it, oh, well, who cares? What's the big deal? I didn't pay for it. And that's the attitude of kids today. Ugh, that That is one thing that drives me absolutely nuts is this whole entitlement bullshit attitude the and these worst. parents who say, well, I, I struggled, so why should they have to struggle? Why the fuck shouldn't they? Yeah, but also at the same point, like, I get it. Like I, I don't want my kid to starve. Like if I had no. had a upbringing where I didn't have food and I could provide food, like that's one thing. But you know, like my kid doesn't need to have a brand new bike. He doesn't no. need to have every truck that he sees in the store. He doesn't, I mean, he'll get things. He's fine. He's fine. Sure. Yeah. My kid is way fine. Yeah. And he doesn't need everything. And if he throws a fit because he wants X, Y, Z, I'm even less likely to give it to him because there you go. Anytime I see that entitlement coming up, I'm like, you are privileged. Like you are for all intents and purposes, a you know small little white man. So yeah. you're going to have everything that you need in life from the start. Yeah. I mean, regardless of my heritage, I mean, he, that's how he's going to identify. So you already have a leg up. You're fine. You have everything yeah. you need. So if I'm not going to get you, and he's, I mean, he's four now, so it's not like he's getting a huge lesson on this. No. However, it's going to get more and more intense. And like, he has chores even now, like at four years old, he's got chores. If he doesn't do them, he doesn't get stuff. And there's, I know that's very harsh. And a lot of people think that I'm, it's actually ironic because in Hawaii, I was like a super strict parent. Everybody thought I was super strict. And now in Texas, everyone that where I live now, everyone's like, you're such a hippy dippy lenient parent. <laughs> like, well, I like to be both, but it's so important to me because I can't stand that entitlement. No, It, it drives me insane. Yeah. What's even worse is when kids don't see it. Like they yeah. genuinely don't see that they're entitled and you're like, yep. oh, okay. <laughs> Tell me again as you're driving. I mean, you're driving a car that's nicer than mine. And I'm like, you're 15 and you have a car that's nicer than mine. And I'm 40. Yeah. It's, it's, and, uh, and I don't even want a car that's that nice. I'm like, I don't even think that you should have a car that has more horsepower. Like, you're 15, you're all testosterone or hormones yeah. or like crazy angsty teen you don't need a car that has that much power i'm no, worried for you for sure yeah it's it's oh this could be a whole other episode yeah, for sure <laughs>
I could go on and on and on about this. Oh, topic. you, Woo. you and I both. So we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions will just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Gotcha. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Be nicer to yourselves. How would you describe yourself in one word? Unstoppable. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Falling up. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? A good night's sleep. (laughs) (laughs) At what time of the day do you get your best work done? When my kids at school from nine to noon and uh, from 8 p.m. to midnight when he's asleep. What is your favorite word? Ooh, quixotic. Love that word. What is your favorite self-care practice? A glass of wine and a bath. What is one tool you always carry in your toolbox no matter what project you're working on? My computer. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. I did it. (laughs) You did. You did very well. What is your biggest fear, Amanda? Failure. Failure is the worst. I think that I don't fear failing myself. I think I fear failing other people. And specifically my kid and my immediate family. I don't really care about like anybody else, but the people that rely on me, I worry about failing them because I I do want to be successful in my family's eyes. But more than that, I want to be able to provide for them. And, you know, I'm I'm the youngest of four and I still feel for some, whatever reason, I feel the need to be the provider and the caretaker for my family. And I want to be the one who can, you can come to, if you have a crisis, you need help, you need financial, whatever you need shoulder to cry. And I want to be that person. So I fear failure for them. And obviously my kid for obvious reasons, because yeah. I'm a full parent. So if I can't make it, we're both going to have a rough day. Yeah, so. for sure. What is one lesson your work has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? That there aren't any mistakes. There really are not mistakes that I think we get so bogged down and like, oh, I messed up. I messed up. But I just don't see mistakes as being a real thing. I think it's the perception you have of them and the action you take after a mistake. So, I mean, arguably, obviously mistakes exist. And if you screw up, it's not the fact that you screwed up because everyone's going to screw up sometime in your life. Like everybody's going to make mistakes. So that is just part of being human, but it's what you do after that matters. So you can't wallow in that. You've got to see the opportunity even when it feels like the shit has hit the fan and that everything is going against you and that your world is crumbling. I'm not saying there aren't times when like things are crumbling because there are times I'm well aware personally of those times. And it's all about the action you take afterwards. And I think that that's something I wish I had known way longer ago is, you know, your world is not defined by your mistakes. It's not defined by your situation and circumstances that you can rise above that. And it's all based on the action steps that you take once those negative things happen. And and I think that's so important to learn. And I wish I had learned it 37 years ago. Excellent advice. Thank you for sharing. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself over the past year? Over the past year, I think it's surprising how much you can do in a year. I mean, I moved to Texas. I I moved from Hawaii to Texas a a year ago. And I have done in a year, I've written two books. I've started another podcast. I started another business. I sold a business. I moved three times in a year. I mean, there's just so many things that I did in a year. And I think that 
I think we take time for granted. You just, you only have so many hours in the day. Everybody only has 24 hours in a day and you've got to use them to your maximum because, you know, even if to your maximum is a spa day, that's still using the day the way you want to use it. And I think we just really forget that time is fleeting. It happens fast. I mean, the days are long, the years are short. And in a year I got a lot done and still more, I'm still going. And I, I think it's, it's been surprising to me to see how much you can get done in a year if you really want it. And even though there's always things, there's always stuff that's going to come up. I mean, there's always things, but you've got to let go of those things, whatever excuse you're going to make and know that you can get anything done if you really want to, and you prioritize it and you make time for it, you can do anything. Kudos to you for doing that and for realizing that. Amanda, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? God, this is such a hard question. <laughs> the worst, best question. <laughs> you know, there are so many. I mean, a part of me is like, oh, I should go from the religious standpoint, like talk to Mary, Mother of God, or I should go from like the literary, like I want to talk to Jane Austen and, you know, I'm a big book nerd. So, but I think I'm going to go with Amelia Earhart because okay. I would love to hear about her adventures firsthand. And I want to know what happened to her. I mean, it was it like coconut crabs in the, on an island somewhere. Like what happened? Where'd she yeah. go? Yeah. Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't be so mean. I was so mean. And not, I mean, I, I think this is important to notice about yourself. When I look back to how I was in middle school, high school, college specifically, I was so angsty and like mad for no reason. And I pushed people away because I just didn't see the value in people at that time. I, I was... I was very goal-driven even then, and I felt like everybody was in this, like, I'm going to go drink on the weekends and, like, be a partier, and I just wasn't into that. And I, I didn't find people that I could relate to, and I think if I could go back, I would just tell my younger self, like, you, you don't have to project that on everybody else. That's your issue. That's not everybody else's issue. <laughs> and you can be nice and still hate people at the same time. Like, you don't have to be... <laughs> I'm not saying, I mean, I was a little bit me. I was a little aggressive. That has come out. It's like the number one descriptor people give me is that I'm intimidating. But at that time, I was intimidating in a way that almost seems sinister. If I look back at it, I'm like, wow, I was like, if goth had been a thing, I probably would have been goth back then. <laughs> uh, it was not a thing when I was younger. I don't think my parents would have allowed it, let alone entertain that. But I think yeah. I, I was just very angsty and not sure of how to handle emotions. And we moved a lot when I was a kid. So I really never had friends because it was like every six months to two years I was moving. And so I didn't really handle that transition. I mean, I, I was you know resilient and I was able to, to travel and move on really quickly from an academic standpoint and from a general well-being standpoint. But I think that I didn't handle people well back when I was younger. So I think I would just say like, be nicer. You don't have to be, you don't have to show it on your face when you don't yeah. like somebody. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Now, this depends on what the situation is. So if this is like an apocalyptic thing, I would be going down in a blaze of glory and I would be <laughs> riling the troops, even though I knew it was a lost cause. If this were like a deathbed scenario, it would be all about love. It would be about, you know, how proud I am of my family, how much love I have for them and how much I respect them and know that they're going to do amazing things without me, etc. So it really depends on the situation there because I'd go down in a fiery glory if I had to. <laughs> Well, let, let's say the love situation. It's Amanda, thank you so much for being here today and sharing in your journey. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've enjoyed every 
minutes of our conversation. You are an absolute incredible inspiration to women, to men, to everybody. Thank you so much for all that you do and for sharing a bit about your story and your journey with us here today. I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. I am honored to be a guest here. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. My guest today has been Amanda Fergiel. She is a serial entrepreneur, a performer, an author, a podcast host, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.